White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 421. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition. 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. It's a second five. moving off the pad. It is now clear to the top. Welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all of our great friends and supporters via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I am joined today by my special guest, my good friend, Kel Carpenter. Welcome aboard, Kel. Glad to be here, man. Well, I put out the call to my nearest and dearest buddies in the geek comics uh, sci-fi community that I felt like talking about Dreadstar, and you immediately said you were interested, and I remembered that you were a fan too, and 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 so I wanted to get right on here and talk about it. Now let me quickly say why I wanted to talk about it, and then we'll talk about why you want to talk about it, and then we'll actually talk about it. <laughs> so the reason it came to me after I hadn't thought about this series in a while is that as many of our listeners and followers know, I was uh, having, about a month ago, had surgery. And so knowing it was coming up, I was gathering up a bunch of stuff around the couch because I figured I'd be laid up for a while and I'd be wanting to read stuff and watch stuff. And I I was digging around through some stuff I might want to read, and I found my stack of Dreadstar comics, uh, the original like first 15 issues or so from Epic, which was really Marvel. And I said, oh, that's, that's something that would probably pass the time very well. And so, indeed, over the last couple of weeks, I've reread the ones I had, and then I've gone and found a bunch of the ones after it and read them. So at, when I did, I remembered a lot of why it was that I had loved that series and those characters so much back in the 1980s. And so I was very excited. It seemed like a good topic to go ahead and talk about while it was fresh on my mind. Now, what is it? What is your connection to Dreadstar over the years? Uh, so I was kind of shocked when I looked back to to get prepared how early I had started. I must have been like twelve or thirteen when I read the Epic Comics versions. Mm-hmm. Um, they just showed up at wherever I bought comics, I was like, wow, this is cool. Let's see. And oh my God, this is great stuff. And it just kind of clicked with me. And I kept up with it um, through the various <laughs> incarnations yeah. before it before it ended. Um, and I, I had always wanted to track down the Metamorphosis Odyssey, which I'd never read, uh, mm-hmm. but wanted to because it referred to it in several flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had not read that until recently. Um full disclosure why I was so eager to jump on. I had just received last month as a birthday gift, the first omnibus collection of this very story. Ah, yes. Uh, and it has my, my only, uh, now ownership of the metamorphosis odyssey, which I've just read. So it's very fresh in my mind. Very good. Uh, and so, yeah, I was very eager to talk about it. Yeah. And now talk just for a second about that collection and what Starlin's doing right now. Sure. So what he's decided to do, he has sought out um, Ominous Press, 
Mm-hmm. And they partnered with him. They did a Kickstarter to get to gauge interest, and interest went through the roof. Yeah, um, it, it, of course, it's collecting all of the Dreadstar content that he was involved with, um, and he's chopped it up into three volumes. Um, so I've got Metamorphosis Odyssey, The Price, a small story from I believe Epic Illustrated number fifteen. And then issues one through eight of the ongoing Epic comic series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first one. And then there are two others uh, that, that are in chunks as well that collect the whole story. Um, I think, and I kind of hope looking back at some of the first stuff, I hope they're going to recolor all of it. Cause it was pretty awful. Uh, what I saw. Um, I have thoughts about that. We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, they're not cheap. They're like 90 bucks a piece. <laughs> No kidding. Um, I was kind of shocked that my wife and daughter, I had just thrown, it was a throwaway comment and they tracked it down and got it for me. Wow. And shout out to Melina and Kelsey. I love you guys. Even even though you didn't get me that, I still love you, but you did and I love you even more. Um, <laughs> <so> yeah. <laughs> well done, gang. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, all right. So let's, first off, before we talk about the, because it's, it isn't it, one of the things that's interesting about this is it un, unlike a lot of characters, it's not just one series. It's a bunch of different places and different formats. And in other words, if you want to read the entire story, well, I guess now you can get those three volumes from Starlin from from Ominous Press. But before that, if you wanted to read the whole story, you kind of had to go a bunch of different places because it was published by at least two different publishers, but also in several different formats and in, in, in several different ways. I mean, even the way that Starlin created the stories varied in many different ways from like him writing and full painting the pages right. to him writing and drawing them comic book style to him writing them and somebody else drawing them. I mean, there's yep. a, you know, to, to eventually somebody else writing and drawing them. So it kind of a little bit of everything. And, and, it, and some of them originally appeared in a magazine. Some originally appeared in a standalone graphic novel. Some was an actual comic book series from Marvel. Some was an actual series from first, you know. So <laughs> e- e- even more than, than Nexus, I guess the only, other, the only other character I can think of whose adventures kind of jumped around different places would be Nexus, but Baron and Rude. And right. For those of you interested in such a thing, about a year ago, Mike Barron sat down with me for a nice conversation about Nexus and Badger and all that. So you can dig back through our archives, just a few episodes, and find that. Um, and I just saw Mike at DragonCon and had uh, lunch with him uh, just a few weeks ago, which was awesome. Um, cool. But anyway, yeah, the only that's the only other one I can think of that actually like jumped formats, jumped publishers, jumped everything, and kept going as the same basic story. So... It, it kind of goes back. Let's start with Jim Starlin. Okay. Most people today, what would you say people know Jim Starlin for primarily? Probably Thanos. Yeah. The Infinity War and Endgame, which together have made like $4 billion, you know, <laughs> just those two movies, That a lot of that is Jim Starlin, right? He, he wrote the most, he created Thanos. And he wrote, he created the Infinity Gems, pretty much, and he wrote the Infinity Crusade. I mean, it, it, let's see, the Infinity Watch, Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Crusade. It's just been, 
it basically links infinity beer stein i don't know <laughs> yeah it became his brand there for a while and uh yeah so um he's best known for that for a lot of the work he did with marvel he was like mr cosmic wouldn't you say at marvel for a long time oh definitely mr cosmic um mushroom trip i don't i don't know <laughs> well that's warlock <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he basically created Warlock, or at least made him what he's known as today, this enigmatic kind of half-good, half-evil, strategic genius, cosmic, weird, golden guy. And he also revitalized uh, Captain Marvel, Marvel, before right. he then killed him, which I this is the one thing I've never forgiven him for. And, and I know it... it I, well, see, I look at it this way, Kel. I really blame really Jim Shooter because why not? You blame Jim Shooter for everything. Why not blame him for this? <laughs> I really blame Jim Shooter That's for killing. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think of it as an editorial fiat that Shooter said kill Marvel. I feel like if anybody was going to obey that order and do it and execute Marvel, at least they gave it to the person that can let, make him go out in style. You know, right. Now the downside of that is you, you know, Starlin gave Marvel such a great death that it's sacrosanct and they can't bring him back. <laughs> right. If he'd had a crap death like Phoenix, they probably would have brought him back three times now. <laughs> but he got a great death, so they're never. He, it's like him and you know, I used to say him and Bucky and Uncle Ben, but they brought Bucky back, so now it's just Uncle Ben and Captain Marvel. Okay. Well, so that, and then of course, technically, you know, there's the evil Uncle Ben, but we won't even go. No, there. no, no, not going there. So, um, so, so Jim Starlin is the cosmic guy, and he was doing Marvel properties. He's done some DC. He 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 did the death of Jason Todd for Batman, right? I believe was he. Was I think Batman. that's right. Yeah, but he was really best known for that cosmic stuff. And then in the early 1980s, maybe even 80 or 81, Marvel decided. And and by the way, I need to say, kind of like John Byrne and Frank Miller, Starlin is known both for writing and drawing. He's one of those. Yes. He's one of those uh, dual threats as we talk about quarterbacks, right? He's a right. he can he can uh, run and pass. He can he can write the great stories and he can draw them. And he has a very distinct art style that I think it worked better back in the '70s and '80s. Today, it it seems a little old-fashioned, maybe compared to the stuff they're doing, you know, now that's just so completely different. But you know, in the in the '70s and '80s, his art style fit right in there with John Byrne, with George Perez. You know, wouldn't you say? I would say for sure. Yeah. So he's and it's he, iconic. I mean, it's one of those things where when you see it, you know it's him because oh, there yeah. are those certain characteristics and certain perspectives and and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. And so, in the early '80s, Marvel decided to do. You know, I've always said Marvel never found any property that was successful that they couldn't make a less successful copy of. <laughs> it's what Marvel does, right? Yes. And so they saw Heavy Metal magazine and the movie coming out back then. Yeah. And Marvel said, we need to make us one of them <laughs> slick, booby-showing adult sci-fi fantasy superhero type magazines and black and white got to get black and white in there yeah well some of it was black and white some was color yeah uh the first half of the metamorphosis odyssey was in black and white then it switched to color about halfway through but most of the features in epic i think were in color i've got i've got the epic 
run uh, in digital form. I don't have the actual issues anymore. I used to buy it. I, in fact, I think the first two issues of Epic I bought were in, had, had the last two episodes of the the Dread Star story we're about to talk about in it. And so I, I had to go back and and get the the or, the early part of the story. You know, years later. Right. So Marvel put out Epic Magazine, which was their answer to heavy metal, and it had it, it, it had just a bunch of different one-off stories by different writers and artists, but it had a couple of things that were ongoing for like you know eight, nine, ten, twelve issues, and one of the stories that it had going was they brought in Jim Starlin to do something called the Metamorphosis Odyssey. So walk us through what you thought about the Metamorphosis Odyssey. Because it's very different from the comics, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't it's look the different. same. Um, it doesn't read the I was, same. I was kind of surprised how different it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so my story with uh, the Metamorphosis Odyssey, gosh, back in the mid to late 90s at a, at a mall nearby, there was somebody selling comics and comic-related stuff. And I actually found the first issue of Epic Illustrated. And it was for a ridiculously cheap price. Wow. Uh, it was like seven bucks. And okay. I was enthralled and I got it and I couldn't find any more and it was gone. <laughs> and then I get this opportunity with this. Um, it starts out as this really grand space opera. I mean, yeah. it's this really deep existential examination of life is going to end as we know it. And how do I facilitate? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was... Yeah. cosmic and it was introspective and it was I, I I don't know how long he planned this but wow it was so intertwined and the plot points you know are we going to give away spoilers or are we going to Yeah well let me let me address that cuz that's a good okay. um All right so let's quickly give an overview of the whole thing of the whole Dreadstar universe for like five minutes and then you know if that whets the appetite of people that are just listening to this casually they can stop there and go read it or whatever and come back and hear our conversation later and then okay. we'll go into full spoilers so cool. let me lay out a couple of things and you fill in anything you want to so the parts of this story really are there was the ep- there was the epic magazine I think nine or ten part story the Metam- metamorphosis odyssey uh, then there was another story that appeared in Epic a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the Marvel graphic novel series. Marvel graphic novels came around in the, late, in, the, in the early 80s. The first one was the death of Captain Marvel I was just talking about. I think the second was yep. maybe an X-Men story or something. But the third Marvel graphic novel, I've still got my copy, was Dreadstar. And it picked up exactly where the Metamorphosis Odyssey in Epic left off. Then there was... Um, it jumped to comics when they did an epic comics line, and that covered Dreadstar in this new galaxy, yes. which we won't say why he's in a new galaxy. And right. then, it, and then finally, it jumped to first. And there's also uh, a graphic novel. It was reprinted as an annual called The Price that gives the background yes. of another supporting character. So, and, and that was published by yet another publisher, Eclipse Comics, originally. Yeah, and then Epic reprinted it as, a, as Dreadstar Annual. So, right. And then, right, and so now let me give you a quick kind of overview with no spoilers. It essentially is more or less contemporary today in our galaxy, the Milky Way, and there's this alien race that's just rapacious. They're like locusts. They just devour everything. 
and they are conquering the Milky Way, and the one really advanced alien race that can stand up to them realizes eventually they're going to lose, and so one of their top sort of scientist sorcerer guys, who is the one of his, I guess he's the main character in the Metamorphosis Odyssey, is Agneton. Yeah, and he launches a plan to do something about that alien race. Okay. In the graphic novel, we pick up with what happens to... And, and let me see. So Dreadstar is one of the people that Akhenaten recruits to be part of his team t- to help with his plan. Okay. Yeah. He's security muscle, not the main character. Not the main character at all, right. In the Dreadstar graphic novel, you see Dreadstar on his own in a new galaxy trying to start over after the events of Metamorphosis Odyssey and getting kind of sucked back into another conflict. And then the comic series that comes out of that called Dreadstar or Dreadstar and Company, depending, um, is him in this new galaxy in a new conflict with new enemies and new allies. And the allies kind of constantly change, too. So is there anything else without any spoilers we want to give that would whet people's appetite to check this out? Um, I think that's about it. Um, I will say the first comic stuff was, I think his, he didn't want to give it up and he kind of, and we can talk more about it later, but it, it seemed to sort of be the, Hey, I want to keep this going, but I'm not sure where to take it. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause the whole property changes directions very violently several times <laughs> as he seems yes. to take it different direct and it changes styles, which we're going to talk about too. Yes. All right, Um, so that's your warning. Now we're going to get into full discussion, full spoilers. So if you're intrigued by Jim Starlin writing a cosmic space war in two galaxies um, that starts out very philosophical, as Kel said, and turns into a comic book action series, basically, along the way, but keeps its sense of humor, or adds a sense of humor. It didn't have much sense of humor in the original series, that's for sure. No, it did not. No, then uh, then check it out. And like, it's, like you said, there's the big there's these big collections that Starlin's putting out now, but you can also go back and get it digitally. At least you can get the first probably 12 issues on Comixology, which I got. And then there's the original comics. Okay. So, wood, 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 wood. Here goes the actual discussion. So... <laughs> The Metamorphosis Odyssey, as you said, very philosophical, uh, very dark. The main character is Akhenaten. Walk us through kind of what you thought about that that storyline and, and where it goes. So, you know, it, it felt obviously very um, oppressive because <laughs> yeah. there's no hope. Um, no. And, you know, he's he's the last survivor in, of his race and, but then he, the reveals that all these these disparate characters that he's picking up in their situation. Wait, who's he? Tell us who he uh, is. Agneton. Okay. Agneton. Yeah. Um, he he goes and he's he's finding these seemingly disparate characters. There's a uh, Zah who is this uh, furry creature on a planet where they're only it seems like they're only reason for living is to procreate and eat each other. Yeah, the cannibals. Uh, horrible, horrible monster cannibal Wookiee-looking things. Yeah, and, it, and he's the only one who doesn't like to eat other Wookiee things. Yeah. Um, he has a soul, basically. Agneton basically yeah. gave him a soul ages ago and comes back to pick him up, yeah. And so, yeah, and, and that's the thing. We, we learned that Agneton has created 
the process for these these characters to exist. So mm-hmm. he's the reason they exist to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, then there's the 15 year old Earth girl. Yeah. Uh, Earth blows up because Agneton blew him up. Yeah. Uh, which is dark. Um, a little bit. And then there's the fairy. Oh my gosh, I can't remember her name now. Whis- whisper, whisper, something like that. Whisper. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then he, of course, there's Vanth, Dreadstar, mm-hmm. uh, orphan from Bifrexia, The was it a winter planet, a snow planet? Yeah, he's he's kind of like if Conan had a little more technology. <laughs> yeah, and a magic sword that yeah. was created also by spoiler Agneton. Right. Um, Left for him to find it. If anybody could find it, they would basically deserve it, and then he could recruit them to be his uh, bodyguard muscle guy. Yeah. Right. And so you know. He gathers them and they go to make sure his in-game plan that he set up millennia ago uh, would take place. And there we are. Um, and the, the plan is, let's blow up the Milky Way galaxy. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, he creates the, was Infinity Horn or something like that? Yes, or, that's it. Which probably has an Infinity Stone in it somewhere. Um <laughs> Yeah, they they have to make their way to the planet where it's been secreted away. But the we haven't talked about the aliens. Aliens are just like they consume everything. They're devouring. They're called the Zygotians. Yes. And so it's Jim Starlin. You know, he was very influenced by Vietnam, apparently. And it's this. He said before that it's this whole idea that in order to save the village we from communism, we had to destroy it. Yeah. And he carried that to the ultimate, that in other words, there's no way to stop the Zygotians short of destroying their entire galaxy. And so every living being that's not a Zygotian in the Milky Way is essentially collateral damage when we blow up the village. Right. So, um, And then, you know, the other twist that we learn towards the the payoff on destroying the Milky Way is that the Zygotians were people from his race, the Orsirians, mm. uh, who turned evil and went off to, to consume the universe. Yeah. Uh, so they're like two sides of the coin. Right. And, um, yeah, and it's, I mean, it's basically Agneton just comes up with this plan, and he doesn't tell the others really till the very end that that's what they're doing and Dreadstar doesn't know he thinks it's like a magical thing that's going to defeat the Zygodians to which Agneton is sort of like yeah that's pretty much it you know <laughs> and so the only they have a great great battle with this Zygodian army uh, to get in there and to protect the uh, to protect the three of the three that are blowing the horn and destroying the galaxy and Agneton gets his arm shot off which is relevant later it and, sure is. And then when the galaxy blows up, Agneton saves himself and Dreadstar inside a stasis bubble. And so for a million years, they float out of the exploding Milky Way, and they end up in what is called the Empirical Galaxy. So that takes us to the graphic novel, right? Yes. Okay. So in the graphic novel, they crash land on this planet in the, Imperial, in the Empirical Galaxy, and immediately Agneton reveals, because no time has passed at all for them, 
He reveals what has happened, and Dreadstar is so ticked off that he just opens fire and kills Agneson, which is what Agneson wanted. He just wanted to end his own suffering, basically. Right. So now Dreadstar is alone on this planet, and then he goes and meets some folks. So who? What happens next? Did you have you read the graphic novel lately? Uh, yeah, it's part of the 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 thing. Okay. Yeah, it's it's part of what what I just finished reading. Um, so yeah, and it, he's on this planet, uh, this empirical galaxy. It's it's highlighted by a two hundred year war between hmm. the monarchy and the instrumentality. The monarchy is. As it sounds, a dynasty of monarchs. I mean, just an empire. And the and the instrumentality is a religious type group. Mm-hmm. Um, and the planet he's on, I believe it's Caldor. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, it's a planet that the the instrumentality sent folks there to do uh, genetic experiments and create a ra- race of cat people to Who be was, warriors. To be warriors, yeah, but. Yeah. But they decided that they were better at farming, and mm. so being good, uh, being good stewards of their resources, they said, "Hey, let's make them our producers of all our crops." And there you have it. And so Vanth is there. He's found by some cat people, and they go and get a human woman, uh, Delilah, yep. who has been sent there, and she finds them and. He's been shot uh, previous in at the end of the Milky Way galaxy before sealed in the bubble. He was shot by some uh, weapons with radiation, and he's been in stasis, so it didn't kill him. But now it's it's attacking his system, and she thinks he's going to die. And I'll turn it over to you. Well, he pulls through, right? I haven't read that in a long time, but he pulls through, yeah. and they end up getting married and he settles down to be a farmer and he's not going to be a warrior anymore. And he makes friends with Eddie, the cat guy, right? Yep. Eddie the cat. And then am I missing anything? That's when the monarchy's battle fleet shows up. Um, mm, we probably are going to have to jump into the price some. Okay. Um, but they do show up. Um, there, the price is like inserted in between the events. Okay. Uh, the monarchy shows up basically, and they have old information about the cat warrior thing. And so, hey, we're going to kill everybody, and they kill him—not uh, him. They kill, of course, not him. They kill Delilah, mm-hmm. and we think all of the cat people at that point. Uh, and so he's enraged and, and I, wants to do something about it. Well, and I, I want to point out too that when we find out a little bit more about that later, but as we look at if we look back at these two now, this is still all being painted. Yes. And it has a different tone to it than a comic book at this point still. That's yep. why I, I want to cuz it's about to change in a minute, but I wanted to and well the price is still painted too and kind of fits in this too. But I just wanted to point this out. So at this point, this is still a very dark, somber. There's not a lot of humor. It's it's something very different for Starlin. It's got its own flavor, and it's it's more like a a dark novel or movie or something at this point. Well, it's also very adult. I mean, yes. you've got you've got nudity, mm-hmm. um, male and female, very egalitarian. <laughs> um, you know, and and adult themes of of you know. Hey, I'm in love, and love means this, and and things that you know a kid of my age at the time would never have read. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
as an adult now, I'm like, wow, this is really adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's, he's it, and the reason I'm pointing that out is because it's going to take a very dramatic change when he decides to turn it into a, into a regular comic book thing and it evolves constantly after that. So, yes. so, um, so by the end of the Dreadstar graphic novel, Delilah is dead. Hold on, my, my computer is telling me it needs to restart. I'm like, this would be a really bad time. <laughs> I'm going to say no, do that later. Um, okay. So, uh, so Delilah has been killed by the monarchy, which is significant. Yes. And so Dreadstar, um, do we get him going? Yeah, he in this story he goes and confronts the king, right? Uh, yes. Actually, what he does is he he goes and enlists in the monarchy's army, and he kills the king. Mm-hmm. And visits his heir, uh, the nephew, Greg Zor, I think is his name. Yeah. And says, you're going to end the war. And some of this is is a little more fleshed out down the road. Mm-hmm. In the com- Well, no, I guess it's in the graphic novel. This part starts to, like, bleed together a little bit. Um but yeah, he he says, "Here's your plan," and basically says, "I'm your advisor. You're going to do this," and then decides to go after the instrumentality. After that, yeah, he basically tells them, "You're going to instead of fighting this grinding war that just kills so many people out on your frontier, you're just going to roll your defenses back and set up a defensive perimeter, and you're and and let the instrumentality have their half of the galaxy. You have your half, and and stop." fighting so much basically he he couldn't win the war for either side he didn't think at the time but he could at least get them to stop having it like a meat grinder you know kind of like an armistice almost right and and one of the main points that i didn't remember as a kid and it's interesting now is the whole idea of the war is what's propping up the economy of either side yeah um several places there's talk about it's madness to make warrior economic gain, you know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is that Vanth sets up, he, he says, here's my plan. It's, you know, you're, at first you're going to take an economic hit, but it, if you continue on and follow the plan, then that's going to change. You're going to be prosperous and all this stuff. And it's like, he's not only, you know, he's gone from being this muscle tactician to, this guy who can plan out economies and that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is just him mm-hmm. or his, uh, his, his companion that we're going to talk about in a minute from the prize. Yeah, it is. It, he's becoming a much more in-depth character as it goes here. I mean, that's the thing that the, the thing that the Dreadstar graphic novel really does is it picks up this character who was very much a secondary character in the Metamorphosis Odyssey and when he kills Agneton, he moves himself to being the main character. It's really like Starlin decided he was no longer interested in Agneton. He wanted to go right. He wanted to kind of jump on Dreadstar as his main character in this whole universe, and he does. He does. And and it's it's interesting too. Agneton actually, before he dies, says to mm-hmm. Vanth, um, "We're here and." You're, I, I think you're going to be crucial to helping prevent another Zygotian problem here in this galaxy, which, you know, heavy-handed foreshadowing. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, um, all right, so that gets us pretty much through Dreadstar. And then they make the decision at Marvel that they're going to launch a comic books uh, line of based on epic properties that would be almost like, I mean, it's like a different imprint. It's, it's kind of like, you know, Lincoln compared to Ford, you know, or Pontiac compared to Chevy. It's like the same big company, but it's a separate line. <laughs> and, and so they wanted it to be different from the Marvel Universe and have nothing to do with the Marvel Universe. And so the first epic comic was Dreadstar. And it came out very nice format, good paper, you know, nice covers and everything. Um, but still a four-color comic book. Yep. So this represents. Oh, we got to talk about the price, but let me let me oh, finish yeah. let me finish this, <clears throat> and then we'll we'll throw in the price. So the Dreadstar comic book from Epic Comics, and it's be a little bit different from First Later, but the Dreadstar comic from Epic Comics is very much a four color comic, and it's like that environment begins to change the way uh, Starlin wrote and drew it, because they're gone. Gone are the paintings and the darkness, and suddenly it's much more like almost a sci-fi superhero story. Now, let's yeah. put a pin put a in that for a second and talk about the price. And this is another one I haven't read in, in a number of years, so if you're more familiar with it, walk us oh, yeah. this is This is Sigidy Dark. Sigid, this is not going to be easy. This so is, is how I always did it. Sigidy, yeah, Darklock yeah. story. So <clears throat> fill us in on so, that. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a jarring shift once – because in in the order that Starlin is presenting now, it's okay. We've seen this, and now okay, we're going to cut to this, and this takes place within the the confines of the instrumentality, which mm. is set up very much like a religion. Um, and it begins with an accountant for the church of the instrumentality being stalked through shadows and dragged in by something you don't see, but you do see some tentacles, and he's. <laughs> Apparently killed in a very grisly manner. A lot of Cthulhu uh, which we then, stuff. Well, yeah. We 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 then cut to see his brother, who's a high bishop in uh, the the instrumentality church. We've we've mentioned it before. Sazigi, Sazigi, however you want to say it, Darklock, uh, who has decided he is going to exact revenge on whoever or whatever killed his brother. Uh, and left his his son an orphan, and so we see for the first time the main the main leader and I guess down the road villain of the the future Dreadstar stuff, the Lord High Papal, mm. uh, who releases Darklock from his service for a time to take care of his brother's his brother's affairs. And he knows he's going to go out and seek revenge, and he hopes that he will be taken down a peg because he's actually kind of afraid that Darklock is going to come after him as far as taking on the role of being the head of the church. Uh, so we cut to his search. He knows there's a demonic presence, and he finds that demonic presence with the help of his uh, nun anchor psychic spiritual anchor named Marion mm -hmm. she's important later uh, and this god Bialgasard uh, is, is a, it's not a god but a demon um, who is also a cat person mm. I guess that's a Starlin thing yeah um, this creature was uh, bound to serve the person who was behind his brother's murder 
and basically, you know, he sets up Dark Lock to be able to get great power. And he says great power does come with a great price. And sure enough, it does. Um, he is burned badly. Two of his, both his legs, mm-hmm. and implies more than two. Only two. He has only two legs. <laughs> only two. Both of his legs are burned off. One of his arms is burned off. Most of his face is burned off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but he's received this great power. And for the rest of this graphic novel, we see him wrapped in bandages with a cybernetic eye, uh, and he goes and finds the human who was behind it. And we see that he's playing the Agneton character in this, in that he's a half human, half demon, but he's foreseen this great conflict and needed someone to be a great power to sway it to the right side. And he chose Darklock just by nature of choosing to kill his brother. And um, Mm -hmm. so he goes to get more power and there's a price for that, which is the title of our graphic novel, mm-hmm. um, he has to sacrifice someone he loves, which we find is Marion, his anchor and psychic helper. Uh, they are in love and have never acted on it. And so he sacrifices her to this demon God thing, another one. Uh, yeah. And from that is given more power than he's had before. And so he's haunted and scarred, and that sets up his meeting with Vanth uh, on the planet Kaldor to become his mentor. And he's actually the reason Vanth is not killed on Kaldor or is not there to fight off the attack is that he is with Darklock. They over time have, I think it's like a period of 30 years in the, in the story, uh, because Vanth doesn't age. Right plot point um he's there with him and they're discussing the next steps on you know what his role in the universal conflict is vance says i'm a farmer and he leaves and there's this destruction and initially he blames dark lock but then dark lock says i can help you and he is how vance helped he helps vance teleport in where he couldn't before and uses mystical means to help him and becomes his number one aid in his quest to end this war. Right. Yeah. And and it's so again, and this the the price that you just described, it's a fully painted, very dark story. So we're still in that same metamorphosis odyssey graphic dreadstar graphic novel um Approach, I guess approach is as good of a word as any, right. where he's doing it as like a dark novel, really. It's not a fun superhero comic at all, right? This is dark, adult, deep stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so now, that's where things are left off, and then it picks up in the comic book, and it's going to start evolving. Yeah. So, as I said, you get this epic comics... And this is going to be the almost right off the bat. You start seeing the the trademarks of any big Starlin cosmic story, which is there's going to be a planner, a leader, Dreadstar. There's going to be some kind of a wizard cosmic guy, uh, Darklock, as you said, 
And then he's going to usually bring in some kind of a female character and uh, usually some kind of big dumb character they can make jokes about, right? Think about the Infinity Watch. You know, yep. think about uh, Pip and Gamora with Warlock and all that. He all, he loves to do that. That's kind of his go-to thing is the little band of of heroes and there's a big dumb one that's funny and there's a woman, you know, and then there's the main guy. That's kind of his go-to thing, and he does that here, and so he really starts turning Dreadstar now into his standard comic book story. Yeah. It still keeps that edge to it, but it's, it's, um, it's becoming more, I mean, and for the first, you know, 12, 15, 12, 13 issues, Dreadstar's still running around in just like clothes, you know, like a dark blue robe of outfit with a hood, you know, and gloves. Yeah, it's a standard by Frexian clothing, you know, dark clothes, hood, right. boots, and he carries a blaster and his sword as well. But that'll change a couple of times later. So so let's <laughs> yeah. let's talk and we we'll, we're, we're just going to touch briefly on the later stuff. But I want to in our remaining time, the bulk of it here, I want to talk about um, what happens in that first 12 to 15 issues of the of the epic comic um, okay. it's it's so who's our team we've got dreadstar and we've got darklock who else does he pull in now so the first one we see of his company as they're later called dreadstar and company um, is eddie who has somehow we see in flashback uh, he was spared uh, the the genocide of his planet. He's the last survivor of the planet Kaldor. The cat people. Of these cat-like humanoids. Uh, and he's very tactical. He's very ruthless and cunning, even though he's mostly been a farmer. But, you know, what, what the heck. Mm. Uh, they then encounter Willow, uh, who at first you think, think is a throwaway character that they, they're on a monarchy, uh, or inst- excuse me, instrumentality uh, mining planet and they save her. Vanth refuses to let her die in a, in a cave-in and then all of a sudden she's on the team. Yep. Um, she at first is just a, a, another character until they delve into her her mind. She's a, a low-level telepath and they find that there are some things in her past that are limiting her mentally, psychically and uh, Darklock helps her to clear those, but at a price, of course, mm-hmm. um, to fully grasp and, and embrace her powers of cybernetic telepathy. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, she loses her vision mm-hmm. and is given a monkey creature named Rainbow yeah, to be her eyes. <laughs> uh, basically, she can mentally contact people and she can mentally control uh mechanical objects as well. Yeah. And then we've got Skivo Flatus. <laughs> uh, the big purple just guy. Is randomly thrown in at, at the last second. Just, oh, hey, he's this guy, Eddie says. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's kind of like a smuggler. Yeah. And as his name suggests, he has some interesting morals. Uh, <laughs> he's the he's the not comedy exactly relief. The dumb guy, but he's close enough to it. We'll get that one later, but yeah, he's for the moment he's the kind of the big comedy relief guy. Yeah, I think that's the team. Yeah, and so you can already tell when they throw in when they're putting together the team and they're putting in a comedy guy. 
you can already tell it's take it's taking a, a drastic turn from where it was before. You would have not seen a comedy guy in any of the painted stories that have led up to this. But now that it's a comic book series, it's it's in four color, you know, line art, and it's got a comedy guy, and they make jokes and stuff, and it's like, wow, this is. I want to say it's taken a dramatic turn, but it's taken an undramatic turn, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so it's much more like a com- much more like a, a standard superhero-ish sci-fi series. Now, the the first 12, 15 issues or so, I want to talk about Z. That's the yes. thing I thought was so cool. But what else do we need to mention between issues? I guess the one thing we probably need to touch on, though this never this never amounts to anything is that their big plan is Plan M, where yes. they're going to try to overthrow the uh, instrumentality by creating a rival religion with a rival messiah. Yeah, and it kind of disappears after a while. Nobody liked it. The letters pages are full of people complaining about it in, in that time. I was, I was rereading the letter pages when I was rereading those issues last week, and he eventually kind of disappears. But the thing about Maxlon, what was he? He was a robot. He was a robot. <laughs> They yeah, they created a robot Jesus. Yeah, and what's even funnier is they're they're all of a sudden are. I mean, he really was trying to sell it because there are suddenly these little Maxalon dolls that are showing yes. up. Yeah, and they don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. And so, spoiler, they finally figure out. You know, that, and there's all this intrigue. There's this traitor that they're talking about, and he's he's throwing these these. It could be this guy. They think it could be Skivo, and they're following Skivo. And what it turns out is Skivo is the one who's making the dolls and getting rich. <laughs> yeah, he's he's constantly kind of working the angles on this whole yeah. save the galaxy thing. He's like, I can save the galaxy and make a tidy profit. Just watch. So yeah, <laughs> it's pretty. And cool. then I think right about Venice when the whole Maxlon thing just disappeared. It just, yeah, it's mentioned like two more times in passing, but it never really amounts to anything after that. So. Uh, I've got to pause here. Uh, we're we're going to talk about the rest of that series and Z and um, and the Lord Papal and all that. But first, I've got to thank the folks who keep our programs on the air. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron of of our of our programs, the White Rocket Entertainment Network. Just go to www.plexico.net, p-l-e-x-i-c-o.net, or just go to patreon.com and look for my name and White Rocket and. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help to keep our shows alive. And as always on all of our shows, I thank all the folks that are doing that. So let me quickly thank the folks who are currently supporting the White Rocket Entertainment Network. That includes Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson. There is Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Brian Gray, Winston Body, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, AU Falling Up, Alchemist, Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Robert J. Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kanji and Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, 
Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, and Jared Albrick, and William Glenn Matthews. I'm getting close to the end now. Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Kenoy, Don Zederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne. Oh, we're getting close to the NKL. Jeremy Minton, Wardam Wade, Spanky, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrick, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds. I'm telling you, the, the end is near, much like the Milky Way Galaxy. Wade, <laughs> Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joey Meyer, Mark Squire, Chris, and Brant Rumble. Thank you guys all so much for what you do. We are very, very lucky to have such a great group of patrons, but we always need more. Go to www.patreon.com and just look for White Rocket or for Van Plexico or www.plexico.net. You get lots of other rewards in addition to just knowing you're keeping our shows going. All right, Kel, enough of that. So, um... <laughs> We are we are just a little bit into the epic comic series, a little bit of time left to go. So let's talk about the rest of that first well, that first twelve or fifteen issues. Yeah. It it builds up. Max Lon kind of never it fizzles out. But what we really build up toward is uh Dreadstar has been interacting with the new king of the monarchy, Greg Zor, I believe we said. Yes. But Greg Zor has a sort of vizier, an aide that's that's taken over control of the entire monarchy military and is up to something. Let's don't yes. tell it, let's don't say who he is yet, but what is no, he no. up to? What is he up to? Well, he's sort of building power and he's the 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 power behind the throne, as uh, they say in in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Um, so he's he's like an advisor, but you, you get a serious Darth Vader vibe because he's in full yeah. red regalia, yeah, uh, with a mask and everything. Okay, and as, Star- as Starlin likes to do, he's got that pointed nose, so you don't know what's underneath. Yeah, um, on the, on the big mask that covers everything. What is interesting, yeah. we learn later, is that he has no right arm. Ah, yeah. And his left arm, he has like a little laser gun thing on the end yes. of it. Yes. So he basically um, so, has no hands, but but yeah. Right. He's, who's but missing he has an some arm? Mystical, mystical powers, too. So mm. he's, I don't know if there was a, a conscious, hey, let's make this like Darth Vader because it was early 80s. Um, mm. I don't know. But it was really interesting to yeah. see. And he seemed to be sinister at the same time he was advising King Gregsor to work with Dreadstar. So, I don't know. It was, it was an odd thing at the time. And I'll, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, and that's right. And and so he's this yeah cloaked, red-wearing guy. Seems to be on the good side. Seems to be cooperating at first. But we find out... He's been steadily moving all the monarchy's military, their space fleets and everything, away from the capital planet. And eventually we find out he sends a signal to the instrumentality, to the Lord High Papal, doors open, come on in and invade. And he even tells, I believe there's a scene where he tells Lord High Papal, um, all, all I want in return for handing the entire other half of the galaxy over to you 
all I want is you leave Dreadstar to me. So we know there's some personal connection here. So who does Dreadstar start figuring, who start suspecting he is? He thinks he's Agneton. Yeah, so he's being clever. Instead of A for Agneton, he's Z. Uh-huh. So, so they have a uh, clash, right? The, the instrumentality fleet attacks and the monarchy's falling, and they clash. And what did I, this is probably my favorite moment in the entire series. What do you think? Um, it's not necessarily my favorite. I have another one. That's mm-hmm. similar, but yeah, I'll let you run with it because you like it the most. Well, they have a big battle in the palace, and in the middle of it, um, Greg Zor, the king, sort of betrays Dreadstar and knocks him out, and you don't know why. And when Dreadstar wakes up, he's being held in this machine that keeps him from moving, and you find out that Z has basically um, cut off Greg Zor's head and put it on a robot body so he can control him. <laughs> Yep. So Greg Zor's pretty depressed that he's now this basically a cyborg, mostly a robot. <laughs> and so just as they are having this, they've had this big battle, and essentially Z has won because of treachery. And he and Z leaves Dreadstar to be blown up in a nuclear explosion. But a but a spaceship crashes through the palace and frees Dreadstar, who turns off the bomb. And then he tracks Z down before because he still hadn't left the palace, and they have a round two. And this time, Dreadstar literally beats Z to death. Now, he, he thinks he's Acneton, and he pulls off the mask, and he's not Acneton. He's the only other being that would have a reason to utterly hate Dreadstar. He's the last Zygodian. So, Z for Zygodian. Yeah. And so, Dreadstar basically blames him for everything that's happened. So, Dreadstar gets a chain and beats him to death, which is horrific. One of the yes. more this is like a hearkening back to the old graphic novel dark darkness here in this nice bright four color comic book yeah. that surprised me. And, and there are and there are some other places as it progresses where it's pretty dark as well. Yeah, um, that's true. But not it's not the sustained level of darkness we had in the first episodes. So what else about the first uh, the the other thing I want to mention is that he gets his his uniform destroyed and so they give him a superhero costume and this for me this for me is the beginning of the slide down in quality where he stops being this brutal you know warrior in you know dark clothes and starts becoming basically captain marvel part two yeah i would agree with that um yeah and and it's funny because they have the back and forth on page one when he's wearing the new thing. Um, yeah. Willow has designed it. She thinks it looks great. Well, you would think that because you, you you designed it, and it looks silly, and everybody says, oh, you should keep it, and so he does. Yeah. But, yeah, he goes from the dark. I think they called it gray, even though it was blue. Yeah. Um, he goes from that with the big hood and everything's covered up yeah. to wearing skin-tight royal blue and yellow with a big star on his chest it's just weird it's a strange turn yeah and i would point out he it, this is you know he he does, he's wearing a costume designed by someone who is blind so that's, <laughs> that's a, not a good you know for, but but yeah he 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 turns into a four color superhero he can fly uh, he has the like you said the star on his chest i mean he really does become a superhero at this point but the thing is there's still some great stories to go after this it's just yeah. he's starting that slide into being a superhero instead of a science fiction character in a grim military universe you know 
So, what's the other thing that you want to cover before we get to the end of the epic com of the, of the epic comics run? What I really enjoyed is in in the epic run of stuff, they really created some interesting villains. Yes, that's true. Um, they've made this this assassin squad that the Lord High Papal sent after them, and they had some cool folks. Um, there was Monolo, who was the the big um, the big headed telepath, who was the big bad of theirs. He was like the head of their yeah. assassin team, and he was really a nasty guy. He really was. Um, who was the other? Um, oh gosh, there's the Anton guy with one eye in a chair. Anton Meslow. He was a midget with this big cranium with a cybernetic cover, um, who had all these machinations. Um, and then there were the twins. Uh, oh, ultraviolet. Red and ultraviolet. Yes. And they actually, um, I believe their powers were kicked off from the horrific thing that Papal did. Um, he nuked a giant city mm-hmm. uh, to try and get uh, Vanth and Darklock to kill them. And they managed to get seven or eight levels below the city and inside a mystic bubble and survived. But he had essentially vaporized 15 million people. In his own uh, empire. Of his own empire. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, they're blaming, maybe they didn't get their powers there, but somebody they loved was there anyway. Yeah, it, that was uh, their city. That's yes. right. You're right. There's there's all sorts of, like, interesting interactions and then ultraviolet is actually starting to question whether or not she's on the right side. And I mean, it's just, just really good stuff. But the part of that that I liked the most was the whole thing about the traitor, the, the little thread that was there's a yes. traitor, somebody knows our stuff, which it turns out to be there's there's one place where Eddie takes on Meslo mm-hmm. uh, in the chair, and they're both knocked into the water. Yeah. And Meslo comes out of the water, and Eddie's dead. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thread with there's somebody who knows what's happening and then Meslo is acting really weird. And then we get the payoff. It turns out that Meslo is who died and Eddie took on his appearance and has been operating from the inside. So the traitor is true, but it's a traitor to the instrumentality yeah. in this assassin squad. And they, and they find out the reason that the, the instrumentality knew their plans wasn't because one of their members was ratting them out, and it it they kind of make you think it might be Skivo just because he's the least trustworthy of all of them. And right. I, but I kept thinking, see, I kept thinking there can't really be a traitor because he's the only one that would make sense, and that's too obvious. And all the others, it doesn't make sense. You know, it's not like Eddie's going to be a traitor, and it's not like Sizzigy's going to be a traitor, and it's not like Dreadstar Willow. So it didn't really make sense. I kept thinking there's going to be a twist just because I can't see any of these characters actually being a traitor. And in fact, it turns out that like they had replaced the mechanical ear on Syzygy Darklock with yeah. a with a, like a <laughs> with one that had like a tracking or a microphone right. in it or something. So so yeah. Darklock was the traitor, even though he didn't know he was the traitor. That was so that was kind of clever. But it I think it kind of was obvious that it was going to be something like that. They were going to find a right. way to he was going to find a way to weasel out. Right, and they they had this great five issue progression where. You know, the the assassin squad is going after them one by one, and they seem to be yeah. killing them off. 
uh, or take or neutralizing them as a threat. And it builds to the big reveal where Eddie is really Meslo and or Meslo is really Eddie. Yeah. Backwards. Um, and he saves everybody with this experimental ship and they've got them on a planet. They're televising their execution. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're all freaking out except for Vance. And, uh, of course, uh, Darklock is comatose, as is Ultraviolet, who's turned sides and is with them. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so he, they're all freaking out, and he's like, it's all okay. And here comes Meslo showing up. He frees them, and they're like, hit the button. And they hit the button, and the, the nuclear device that's going to blow up the planet is actually on the ship that deposited them and it kills them. And that's, what's televised and they escape, uh, fun stuff. And they, and then we do eventually get a major showdown battle between yeah. the, the Lord high papal and Dreadstar, which is a knockdown drag out battle. And I'm trying to think how that I blew through that. I'm trying to think how yeah. that plays out. So, that's a really interesting thing, and I, I, we, we probably need to deviate for just a second and talk about the sword. Oh, yeah, okay. Because from the start, Vanth has had the ability to make the sword sort of appear. Yeah. And the sword has actually, he's able to store it inside himself. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of his ability to heal comes from and his very close relationship with this sword. So in, in the battle with, with Papal, uh, he appears to get the upper hand and is attacking, and Papal does the unexpected and grabs the sword and snaps it into pieces. Yeah, wow. Um, just destroys it and then says, you're done, and walks away. <laughs> yeah. And he's figured out that the sword is what's helping him not age. The sword is like his thing. And as at the end of the issue, you know, Papal leaves and Vanth is aging rapidly. Yeah. Um, and this is another shift on Vanth and what he can do. Uh, the next issue, he's in stasis and they're trying to figure out what to do. And they go, as Starlin likes to do, he did it in the death of Captain Marvel, the interior of him, himself, his, his own psyche. He's naked and he hears a voice and it's this beautiful woman and it's the sword. Yeah, uh, the, the power spirit of the sword, and they come together as one, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> and uh, so he's absorbed the power of the sword into himself, and so now he is the he is the um, delivery method for the powers of the weapon. They're one one weapon together, um, and that adds some powers. He can fly. He's got this powerful iron fist type thing he does, and. His eyes are golden instead of blue, and he can like squint and see power sources. Just some interesting, strange, further adding to the superhero yes concept. Yeah, that's right. And it um, so it continuously makes him more and more into kind of a Captain Marvel character. And I don't mean to run that down. It's just it's a different direction. And so yeah. this is <clears throat> this just illustrates what I was saying, kind of you know at the beginning, which is that. Starlin just keeps evolving this character and the approach he takes to the character and to the universe and to the supporting characters. It, it, it becomes increasingly a superhero story 
set in a science fiction you know universe rather than a military dark gothic science fiction story and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that you have to be if you're going to enjoy this storyline from beginning to end you have to be able to roll with it and adjust to it in other words if you like it in if you like dark gothic stuff but don't like four color superhero stuff you're not going to be happy when it when it changes and and vice versa you know so you just yeah. kind of got to be able to roll with the punches here so um i guess to kind of wrap things up because we, we we agreed beforehand we're not going to go too deep into the later stuff but just to kind of give a summary he he eventually defeats the lord high papal he loses a lot of that power and um the weird thing is he then because uh, it's like Starlin. Well, I guess the story goes over to First Comics. Marvel decides to quit printing it, and it goes to First Comics, who was also printing Nexus and Badger at the time. And we got to say something because you mentioned the color. It looks different then because Starlin quits drawing it after a while and just yeah. writes it, and then um, they they use a different color process at first. And it's terrible. It, it looks like watercolors or, I mean, in some ways it was a more expensive process and it was more sophisticated. They could do more shading with it, yeah. but we were, it, it just doesn't, it, it, it's gar- garish. I mean, there's a couple of places, oh, not more, it's more than a couple of places um, where it looks like Dreadstar is like wearing pants and no shirt and he's branded the star on his chest. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really weird. It's yeah, I mean, no no offense to Les Dorshide that was coloring all of first comics back then, but I thought his coloring that he did on Nexus was great. And I look at yeah. the Dreadstar stuff and I'm like, what happened? You know, the only thing I can think of is that they were trying to 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 differentiate it because Nexus was this really bright, colorful world. Yeah. Of of folks, but Dreadstar was a dark place, and maybe they wanted it to look gloomy and dark, but it, nah, that was not the right approach. So it it kind of fizzles on out a little bit eventually. Um, the, they defeat the instrumentality completely, and they bring in a new government, kind of like the New Republic, you know, over the Old Republic and all that. <laughs> and then Dreadstar ends up in a coma for two years, and when he wakes up, now everything's changed again, and the new government he's helped put in place has become corrupt and evil. He has to try to overthrow it, <laughs> and eventually they kind of do. And again, I don't want to go into too many details here. We're going to wrap things up here in a second. But but eventually um, they just get in a spaceship and leave the galaxy entirely, he and his little team, and that's when he hands the reins over to Peter David to ride, of all people. Yeah. And this was back when Peter David hadn't really written much of anything. It's funny, there's a there's like a little editorial that Peter David wrote in one of those issues introducing himself and he says, you know, you know, this is before he wrote the Hulk, this is before he wrote any of his Star Trek novels. He, this is Peter David when he's written a couple of books and a couple of comic books and that's pretty much it. And he wrote several issues of Dreadstar and he's he's Peter David. I mean, they're entertaining. But again, yeah. it's just this again this drastic change in direction. It's really turned more into a standard comic book where, you know, different creative teams take them in completely different directions, and it's no longer the thing it was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, so how would you what, kind of what bring us to an end here with with at that point? Sure. So what's interesting is 
they they did the crossovers. So interestingly enough for you, yeah. they, they the crossroads was the crossover and one of those involved Grimjack, Nexus, and Dreadstar. So there's two of your mm-hmm. two of your characters you like together. Um but the way David kind of ended it was he wrapped up with a little bow the whole thing of the instrumentality had these twelve gods. Yeah. That were sort of powering the papal. And papal ran. He he didn't die, he ran. And David wraps it up that the twelve gods are going to come into our the empirical galaxy mm-hmm. uh physical form as a in the in the form of a baby that's gonna be born. And so he takes on the personification of the twelve gods, and uh, he and Darklock, who, by the way, Darklock has basically been dead this whole time, and it's the power of his will and belief that he's still alive that's kept him alive. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, that's fading at this point, and in one last swoop uh they vanth and Darklock go into this dimension where the 12 gods are living and they basically destroy them and Darklock dies and the 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 12 gods end their life with a curse uh as long as vanth is alive so would papal be alive mm. and there you have it okay. <laughs> yeah and they're going to go off on adventures and, you know, hey, we're going to keep going, and that's the end. Yeah, pretty much. What's um, really interesting, though, is um, Malibu Comics did a limited series. Oh. A six-issue series, um, and it's Dreadstar's daughter, Kala, and she is living with and being trained by the Lord High Papal. Which That's, is really odd. That is. Um, I haven't read those. I wasn't even aware of those, honestly. Yeah, um, Ernie Cologne was the uh, was the artist, so it had a different look. Uh, she kind of looked a little bit like Amethyst, which is what Ernie's best known for back at DC. Okay. Um, I didn't read the whole thing. I read. I, I'm looking at the synopsis from from Wikipedia here. I mean, literally, it's like three sentences. The Malibu series takes place several years later with Lord High Papal training Vamp. Red Star's daughter, Kala. The characters from the original series, except for Odie, show up. Or Eddie, sorry, not Odie, but Eddie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the series climaxes with Dreadstar apparently being accidentally killed by his daughter. But in issue six, he's alive and back to his old self. Oh, well, that's good. So all of all's well that ends well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it, it, everybody kind of has a weird ending. Like, Syzygy dies, but he dies doing the thing he was you know, he wanted to do, which was to kill the dark gods. And I believe the last yeah. thing he says is the, is Marion or whatever that, that. Yeah. That's the last thing he says. That's cool. Well, and Willow, Willow ends up merging with a worldwide computer, a master computer and running that. So she's yeah. no longer human anymore. Well, to take over the, the Imperial Imperial, the instrumentality, she, she takes over basically the government of the entire galaxy as this giant computer because they had put this giant computer in charge when they defeated the instrumentality in the Lord High Papal. And then when Dreadstar woke up from that two-year coma, he discovered that the, the computer and the people behind it were being very capricious and, and not so right. good. And mm-hmm. so Willow essentially sacrifices herself to become the conscience of the computer so it will do nicer things and not be all evil and stuff. She, she basically takes over Skynet and makes it nice Skynet. <laughs> Oh, and then later I see, and later she, 
she left the computer and her soul jumped into the body of a later character, Iron Angel. Oh, okay. I didn't know and that. And through the whole thing, she was in love with Vance and they, while she's in Iron Angel's body, she becomes pregnant with Vance's child. Oh man. Wow. That I, <laughs> that I didn't realize. I'll have to go. I'll have to read those last few. There's still a couple of the last couple, the, the last few yeah. of the Peter David ones that I haven't read. And that must be getting to that. So, but we were really going to focus on the Starlin stuff. So, yeah, of course. okay. So kind of final judgment, uh, on dread star as a character, as a universe, as a storyline and Jim Starlin, what do you think about, where do you rank this and what do you think about it in final judgment? I think it's really good. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it probably would have been better. I know um, Starlin left left Epic because he claims he stopped getting a paycheck. Um, uh-huh. And that first was there and willing to do it. I think if he had stopped before or stopped right after we jumped to first and ended everything, it probably would have been better than continuing on. Um, you know, he says in the comment in the, in the letter column that he, you know, handpicked Peter David, that he loved his work and wanted him to be the one. Yeah. Uh, it, it was really a different comic. Yeah. Then. I think the main story, you know, from Metamorphosis Odyssey through, you know, the end of the Instrumentality War stuff, it's one of my favorite stories. I mean, I, I loved it as an early teenager into, you know, my college years is when it finally mm-hmm. ended up. Um, you know, I enjoyed it. I think it's one of the better things Starlin did. And, you know, I've heard some folks say, oh, you know, it's Starlin doing his usual thing. And, you know, he's a one trick pony in some ways, but I think this was a little more personal for him. Um, and it shows, I think he cared more at Starlin's Starlin's own features are what inspired Dreadstar. Yeah. Uh, his features. Um, in the intro to the first omnibus, he talks about the people who were the the models for the characters. Um, in in Metamorphosis Odyssey, the the Earth Girl, uh, her father was actually modeled on Frank Miller, um, Joseph Rubenstein. I mean character uh, creators that we know as longtime comics fans yeah. were actually in it. And I think that's where some of that is. It's something that he was interested in. There, there were people that were used as models that he cared about. And I think that was just the reason he put a little more, uh, you feel like he put a little more of himself into it. Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. Personal. I mean, it's, it's funny cause he's going to be known for these characters he created that he doesn't own. Like, or either created or basically made his own, like Thanos right. and Warlock and Captain Marvel and Gamora and all that. But yet, this is the this is all his. And yeah. I guess the way I look at it, like I said at the beginning, that the, the to to kind of sum up here, it's it's to me it's defined by being completely different at different times in different phases, right? I mean. There's there's the dark painted, uh, gothic, early Metamorphosis Odyssey and the apocalyptic nature of it and everything. There's no humor to it. It's very grim. But then there's like the the, the early comics period, which is still darker but starting to get lighter and easing up a little bit. And and then there's the final phase, at least for now, where he becomes essentially a, a comic book superhero 
And then whatever kind of happens with the end and then with Peter David, he's another character entirely because now he's throwing projectiles at people. Yeah. <laughs> which is another kind of a – so it's it's really like four or five completely different things all tied together by a slowly evolving set of supporting characters and this one main character. He's the only constant through the whole thing is him. So I yeah. I love it. I mean, it's one of my favorite stories, but – you, like I said, you have to be prepared for it to change drastically over and over and over. You know, it's 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 like it starts out Warhammer forty thousand, and 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 then it becomes maybe Star Wars, and then it becomes like Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know what I mean? It 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 takes right. several sharp turns along the way. So, all right. Well, so um, if if he were to come back with a new thing, would you run out and buy it? I would. I would. Me too. And, you know, I, I think if he did, it would be something different again. I think yeah. he's. I think that's one of the things he's shown with, at least on his run, he can keep it fairly constant um, with a thread that continues everything. So I, yeah, I have hope that he could do the same maybe if he did it again. I know that he was injured uh, a couple of years ago, hurt his hand, and thought he wasn't going to be able to draw anymore. But apparently now he's actually drawing a little bit again. So we might actually see some more stuff from him in the days to come. He, uh, I think he was that able would be to interesting. I think he was able to, enough to draw that he was able to do the covers or some new art for these big, right. the big things like you got the first one of. So, right. That's cool. Well, good for him. We love Jim Starlin. He's I've always in, on my Wikipedia page it actually lists him as one of my influences along with Rogers Elasney. There's no doubt about that. So, all right, Kel, thanks so much for coming on today. I hope that uh, everybody out there uh, got a good kick out of our discussion. And if you haven't read Dread Star, and my gosh, then why are you listening to this part of the show? Then run right out and and pick up that big uh, collection or get some of it on Comicsology and check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks a bunch, Kel. Glad to be here. Always a pleasure. Griffin, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.